everyone, and welcome to another edition of Nature in the Classical World. I'm Allison. And I'm Caroline. We are bringing you this week's chapter of the podcast. Our topic this week, like many of the other podcasts before us, naturally focus on comparing our contemporary relationship with nature to that of the ancient Greeks and Romans, and possibly discovering how our relationship with nature now is not so different from the ancients' relationship with nature thousands of years ago. We will be analyzing the hypocritical nature of humans to both conserve and exploit nature, and how classic, or classically common, it really is. Haha. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, for example, did you know that 42 out of 58 national parks in the United States have privately held oil, gas, and mineral rights, either visible from the natural park or even within its boundaries? No. Well, guess what? This means that oil drilling and fracking can occur even within the boundaries of a natural park, which are supposed to be federally protected parts of the landscape, dedicated to the preservation of nature and wildlife, not the destruction. For example, in Theodore Roosevelt National Park, would you ever imagine that visitors who come to enjoy the park would hear truck traffic, or that they might may be warned of the negative effects of inhaling hydrogen sulfide gas in what is supposed to be a natural oasis? Well, it's true. There are signs throughout the park warning visitors of the hazardous effects of breathing in the toxic gas. The gas comes from a few of the many drilling wells that lie just outside the borders of the park. If the gas is toxic to us, just think of how harmful it is to the fragile ecosystems that are supposed to be protected within the park. This example represents the sort of hypocrisy we are talking about. Humans have realized that protecting nature is important, enough to even create a federally run national park system. At the same time, however, we allow for natural areas surrounding, or even inside these parks, to be destroyed, all in the name of extracting resources for industrial purposes. This sort of behavior, in which humans may preserve a small, protected portion of the land, but destroy the surrounding areas, immediately reminded me of a passage in the book, Environmental Problems of the Greeks and Romans, by J. Donald Hughes, which is a great resource for any of you whose interest is piqued by these topics and care to do more research. Hughes discusses the ancient ecology of ancient Greece and Rome and the areas under their influence. This essentially means the entirety of the Mediterranean basin during the classical area of antiquity. The classical area typically dates ranging from about the 7th or 8th century BCE all the way to the 5th century AD. Listen to this passage in which Hughes discusses deforestation in the natural world. Quote, Sacred groves of trees were saved by prohibitions against cutting them, while the surrounding forest could be the subject of deforestation. Unquote. So now we know that both modern-day Americans and ancient Greeks and Romans shared a similar conflicted mindset, and consequently performed very similar behaviors. The ancients were sure to preserve sacred groves, or hiera temene, but were willing to destroy the surrounding lands. Americans support natural parks, yet allow oil drilling at their borders. The only difference between the actions of the ancients versus the actions of modern Americans can be seen in the motivations behind said actions. Try and take a guess as to what we believe to be the different motivations for this behavior of the ancients, who lived thousands of years ago, and our society today. Well, ancient Greeks and Romans assigned a religious sacrality to nature, and therefore their reason for not cutting down a particular group of trees was religious, not environmental or ecological, as our motivations appear to be today. 
And believe us when we say that the ancients had ample reason to believe that sacred groves needed to be preserved in the name of the gods. Ovid even wrote a story within the Metamorphoses surrounding the divine punishment for a mortal Actaeon's entrance into the sacred grove, where he stumbled upon the goddess Diana when she was bathing and was consequently turned into a deer and eaten by his own hunting dogs. While if Actaeon had simply not entered the grove at all, his ill fate would have been avoided. Actaeon's true crime is catching sight of the goddess Diana naked. The true nature of Actaeon's crime reveals the sacrality and religious aspect of nature held by the ancient Greeks and Romans. For example, this myth reinforces the ancients' belief that the gods live in and amongst nature, thus concretely unifying the concepts of the natural and the divine. The sacred aspect of nature is further enhanced by the fact that the gods even perform private rites within natural landscapes, such as Diana bathing in the outdoor grove. And therefore, the literal or metaphorical intrusion of humans into the sacred spaces of nature is practically comparable to sacrilege, and therefore worthy of severe punishment. This demonstrates the religious motivations associated with the ancients' protection of the sacred natural spaces we were referencing earlier, which contrasts our seemingly secular and scientific motivation that we hold today. But what's really ironic about Actaeon's story is that Actaeon and a group of fellows were avidly hunting the surrounding areas, evidently having slaughtered a great number of animals that had populated the surrounding landscape. Just listen to the way Ovid describes the scene, emphasizing the carnage of animals committed by Actaeon and his fellows, in which Ovid commands us to picture a mountain stained with the carnage of hounded beasts. Ovid even continues by telling us that the hunters had achieved so much success that by mere noon, their nets were described as soaked and their spears drenched in our quarry's blood. Nevertheless, Diana, who is the goddess of wild beasts, amongst other things, was not punishing Actaeon for attacking and destroying surrounding wildlife, but rather for intruding in on her sacred grove and witnessing that which was occurring within. This story tells us a couple of things. First, the Romans believed the protected groves and other natural spaces to be incredibly sacred, as Actaeon needed to only step into the grove at the wrong time and bear witness to Diana bathing in order to receive such a horrific punishment. Actaeon did not even destroy any of the natural elements of the sacred space, but merely stepped inside, yet he still met his demise. The severity of his punishment for such a simple mistake shows us how sacred nature could be to the ancients, and strengthens the hypocrisy of their destruction of surrounding nature, and makes their destruction of other parts of nature even more surprising. The story also tells us that this pattern of protecting a token or symbolic piece of land as a means of demonstrating their respect for nature, but then destroying the surrounding areas, was prevalent, so prevalent that a goddess herself even reinforced this pattern by not punishing Actaeon for his destruction of nature in the surrounding glens. However, while Diana did not apparently punish Actaeon for his overhunting, according to Hughes, Greeks and Romans left particular animals untouched while hunting for a fear of punishment by the gods. Just think, practically every ancient Greek or Roman deity had an animal associated with them, such as Zeus's eagle or Ares' wild boar. Some deities would even assign sacrality to an individual living animal or group of animals, such as groups of wild deer or goats that were sacred to Artemis or Persephone. 
What's even more is that the gods not only associated themselves with particular animals, but even appeared in their forms, such as when Dionysus appears as a lion or a bull to scare his enemies. This shows us that the ancients evidently intertwined animals and wildlife with the divine as well. As certain animals could be blessed by the gods, represent one of the gods, or could even serve as a vessel through which the gods could act. Therefore, certain animals were seen as hallowed or divine, just as certain groves or natural spaces were regarded as divine and were not to be messed with. Therefore, the killing or maiming of such animals resulted in punishment in some cases, such as when Agamemnon killed one of Artemis's sacred deer and, as a result, had to sacrifice his own daughter Iphigenia. However, while the Romans evidently believed animals to be sacred, and in some cases divine, hunting was a large part of Greco-Roman culture. Listen to Hughes describe the role of hunting in ancient society. Quote, Greco-Roman writers thought that hunting might be a purer way of life that had survived a better time. End quote. Hunting was naturally needed to extract food and other resources, but it was also even performed for sport in ancient times, demonstrating its prevalence within the culture. So prevalent that the Romans apparently hunted many animals into extinction, or at least depleted the population in the Mediterranean area, such as lions, leopards, hyenas, bears, antelopes, wild cattle, forms of deer, and even elephants. This provides yet another example of this hypocritical attitude held by the ancients, as the ancient Greeks would apparently conserve particular types or groups of animals that were believed to have spiritual meaning while committing mass slaughter of other animals, even depleting entire species. This is seen in our American culture today. While hunting birds of prey is quite common and acceptable, we exclude the birds that we value for personal and patriotic reasons, namely the bald eagle. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service reports that it is highly illegal and punishable by U.S. law to, quote, possess, sell, purchase, barter, offer to sell, transport, export, or import any bald eagle alive or dead, including any part, nest, or egg, end quote. While it is acceptable to hunt certain species of hawk and falcon, American law protects the bald eagle, as it is the national animal. One may be able to say that the eagle is the closest the American people come to worshipping an animal in the way that the ancient Greeks and Romans did. However, groves and animals were not the only thing that the ancients worshipped in the natural world. Rivers, as well as many other bodies of water, were seen as sacred as well. We have a perfect example of that in the Iliad. Yes. In Book 21 of the Iliad, Homer tells the story of Achilles battling the river Scamander. The personified river becomes furious when Achilles blocks the flow of water with the bodies of slain Trojans. The river itself even rises up to battle with Achilles. While this scene can be extrapolated in many different directions, a very clear takeaway is that the ancient Greeks, and likely the ancient Romans as well, believed that rivers were the dwelling places of gods and were in fact divinities themselves. This raises quite a few questions, however. Yes, it does. Let's start with the Cloaca Maxima. The Cloaca Maxima was the sewage system used by the early Romans. The system was one of the first complex sewage systems in the world, and it allowed for the city of Rome to remain clean and dry. It was composed of several different underground canals that collected rainwater, sewage, and runoff from different areas of the city. The sewage system was also used to drain marshes. 
It directed marsh water, rainwater, and any waste straight into the Tiber River. So let's think about this for a second. The ancients knew full well that polluting a river, just as Achilles did, could mean insulting a god, and even provoking the god into battle. Yet they were content to know that their entire city's wastewater was flowing out into the waters of the Tiber. This represents another example of the hypocritical nature of the ancients' interactions with nature, because while they believe bodies of water to be sacred and even divine, they dump their waste and pollute the waters all the same. Can you believe that? And we are still struggling to find the right way to get rid of waste. Even now, we still dispose of waste by means of the ocean or other bodies of water, just like the ancient Romans. However, now due to a higher population density, we require treatment plants, as nature alone cannot process the amount of waste that we create. Yuck. These plants are a step up from releasing non-processed wastewater into our freshwater sources, yet they are far from perfect. According to a study being done in the Long Island Sound, wastewater reentry from treatment plants is slowly raising the overall water temperature. This small but definite change in tidal sound temperatures results in harm to marine life, as well as local sound-based industries such as fishing and crabbing. While we have yet to find a symbiotic system for humans interacting with the world, we have shown small signs of progress. We now process our wastewater before it is released back into our oceans, rivers, and streams. However, we still have a long way to go before we can get our methods right. So what do we think? Well, both modern-day Americans and ancient Greeks and Romans demonstrate that they know that nature is sacred and should be protected. However, in spite of this knowledge, we destroy nature as a means of extracting things we need. This could be seen in two different ways. First, this behavior could be seen as an incredibly selfish way to live, extracting the things we need recklessly and dumping our waste while only protecting small areas of nature, seemingly as only a means of comforting ourselves that we are not actually as destructive as we really are. What's even worse is that even over thousands of years, we apparently haven't evolved at all. We still employ the same hypocritical practices that we always have. Or we could see this as a learning curve in which humans are learning how to maintain a balance of how to extract natural resources for survival by taking from nature while also trying to preserve it as best we can. So what does this mean for conservation in the future? Looking forward, will we continue to follow the precedent that the ancients set up for us and degrade our environment even further? Or will we continue to learn less harmful ways of interacting with nature before it is too late? Please let us know what you think. And thank you for joining us. See you next time. Music